0: learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. I'd like to begin by talking about one of the worst parts of school. No, I'm not talking about exams. I'm not talking about cafeteria food, or homework, or even dorky gym shorts. And that's right, it's time to discuss... Drum roll, please. The group projects. Has the oh yeah. Has this ever happened to you? Elaine ends up doing all the work. Kramer comes up with the worst ideas. George doesn't do any work, takes all the credit. And Seinfeld jokes around the whole time. Now I'm not going to shame anyone into responding which one that they were. I'm sure you were all Elaine's surrounded by a sea of Kramers and Georges. But uh, the difficult thing about the group project is that it's so hard to really work together, isn't it? Uh, To have everyone be accountable. It's hard to partner together on a project. There's hurt feelings, there's communication problems. I thought you were gonna do that, right? No, I thought you were gonna do that. There's differing work ethics, right? Some people have a little more laissez-faire approach, right? Oh, it'll happen. Let's take a break. Let's get some snacks, right? Differing styles of thought that don't mesh together into a cohesive outcome. Divergent visions, right? You don't believe me? Just watch an average husband and wife try to load the dishwasher together. Tell me how that group project turns out. All right, I can tell from your laughter, Bonnie, that you have some experience in this area. Um, In some ways, all of this, this, having meals, doing your taxes, reading, work, school, community, relationships, life, the earth, the cosmos, all of creation and everything in the entire universe, is a group project. And let me tell you something. We humans are in the group, but we are not the Elaines. The beginning of the Torah, this week's Parsha, describes the group project problem more in depth. Let's read it together. This is from Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Together. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, in the likeness of ourselves, and let them rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the animals, and over the earth, and over every crawling creature that crawls on the earth. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Made in God's image. What does that mean? Does it mean that God has feet? Because we have feet? Well, He does have a footstool, right? But most rabbis would say it means this every human has value because we are image bearers of God. Every person reflects the glory and dignity of the Creator. Rabbi Russ Resnick comments on this week's Parsha and this text with these helpful reminders, and this is found in the UMJC Drash this week. Quote, every person, every human being as human being is made in the image of God, and therefore is to be treated with respect and dignity. This claim might sound obvious or even a bit sentimental, but we need to hear it afresh amidst influential current views like this. And this is a quote within a quote. The human race is just chemical scum on a moderate-sized planet orbiting around a very average star in the outer suburb of one among a billion galaxies, Stephen Hawking. Looking back, humanity will turn out to be just a ripple within the cosmic data flow, Yuval Harari, Homo Deus. Both quotes are cited in Morality by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. And you can pray for Rabbi Sachs right now. I think uh, he's, uh, he's in need of some healing. In a postmodern world that sees us just as chemical scum or a ripple in the data flow, recognizing that every single person is created in and bears God's image is radical. And treating people that way with inherent dignity and respect is more radical still. But the dignity of humankind is easier to honor at a distance than close up. It's the recognition of the divine image in those we actually deal with "...on the ground every day that makes the radical difference." Unquote. Beloved, you are made in the image of God. God is king. So you you too, male and female, have dominion over the rest of creation. God is loving and generous. So you too are made, created, designed to give, to love, to seek the good of others." As the image of the sovereign on a coin represents the authority of that king or queen, so too you are the image of the king of kings. You represent God. You are his image. God rescues. God acts. God loves. God intervenes in history. God answers. God hears. So we too should rescue act, love, intervene in history, answer, and especially here. And God has initiated a gigantic group project to repair the world, to kun olam, and the partners that he has chosen, us, <laughs> humans, piles of dirt. Why am I insulting us by calling us piles of dirt? It's what the Parsha says says we are made of dust, but we have the breath of God. That means that God partners with dirt from the earth, but it's dirt that's filled with the breath of heaven. What am I? Chopped liver? Yes, but you are chopped liver infused with the spirit, the breath, the ruach. Let's all take a deep breath. That's the breath. That's the ruach. In your lungs. Adam, Adam, is made from Adama. Humans are made from the earth, but our life force is from heaven. And the weird thing is, the more we act like dirt, the more he breathes on us. The more we mess up on our part of the group project, the more involved God becomes. The farther we get from the task, the more we act like the animals we're supposed to rule over, the more covenants and connections, relational promises God makes with the humans. Have you ever noticed that? For example, in this week's Parsha, we rebel against him. We eat the fruit and we're kicked out of the garden. So what does he do? He makes us clothes. He reminds us to be fruitful and multiply. He reminds us of our calling. By the way, in Genesis 5, it says that we are still made in his image. That's after the big uh-oh of Genesis 3. So it doesn't change. We descend into violence and hate and God allows the waters of chaos in the flood to overwhelm his good world. And then what does he do? He makes a covenant promise with Noah, knowing knowing that the inclination of our hearts is evil all the time. It's as if God said, these guys are such terrible partners. Why don't I promise to partner with them more? doesn't make any sense. Like I said, humans are the worst group project partner ever. But God responds to our worst with his best. So therefore, because we're made in his image, we bless those that hurt us and we are imaging God. When we give to those who need it, we are imaging God. We may be dirt, but we have potential to be the image of God, to represent Him to a hurting world. You know, if I had a nickel for every time I said the phrase distinction and mutual blessing to describe the relationship between the Jews and the nations, I'd be like Oprah up here you get a car, you get a car. The idea is that the Jewish people have to be distinct in order for God's whole economy to work so that they are distinct and then they bless each other, the Jews and the nations. That seems to be God's uh, plan. It's like a great marriage between a man and a woman who bless each other out of their unique gifts and strengths and identity. But this week, reading the Genesis story, I realized there was another relationship of distinction and mutual blessing beyond the relationship between Adam and his wife, the relationship between the natural and the grafted-in children of Abraham, the relationship between the evening and the morning, between the land and the sea. There is distinction and mutual blessing between God and the humans. Now, don't get me wrong. Our senior partner, God is nothing like us bags of dirt. We dimly, dimly reflect his radiance. So far below him as to be incomparable, not able to compare the two. But we learned during Yom Kippur that God lowers himself. God humbles himself so he can partner with us dirty, earthy folks. It's not just something he likes to do. It's part of his character. About 10 years ago, the Messianic Jewish piano player and worship leader, Marty Getz, came here to Tikvot to give a concert. And Stacy Cowan, the rabbi's wife and our worship leader at the time was showing him around and I was uh, tagging along. And she said to him to introduce me and help me connect with this internationally known musician. You know, David here is also a piano player. I'll never forget what Marty said next. He turned to both of us and he said, Maybe I am also. A few years ago, one of my mentors, whom I quoted earlier, Rabbi Russ Resnick, wrote a book. Rabbi Russ is a licensed therapist, author of many books, and rabbinic counsel for the entire UMJC, a rabbi for the rabbis. And he liked something that I wrote in a UMJC drosh, and he put it in one of his books. And he cited me like this. As my colleague, David Wine, says, blah ba blah It wasn't He blah He called me his colleague. Even now, I'm still working on my ordination. God willing, I will finish up my final class this winter and be ordained as a rabbi next summer. But there are folks here, like Mr. Andrew Haynes there in the back, that called me rabbi years and years ago. Why do these individuals do this? they're humble and they want to speak life and identity and calling into my life. And if Andrew Haynes and Russ Resnick and Marty Getz can breathe life and kindness and identity and calling to me, if they can, in a sense, lower and humble themselves in their kindness, surely God can do that and will do that for you. Surely God will bend down and breathe on you, will raise you up, will call out the heavenly person within your dusty frame. I mean, how else do you explain the weirdness of prayer? Have you ever thought about how weird that is? I mean, why am I telling God what I need? Why am I praising him and thanking him? Why am I interceding for others? Doesn't he already know all of that? However, if we're junior partners, if God lowers himself to do this group project called repairing the world, God covenants with dust-made humans, prayer kind of makes sense, doesn't it? He wants to work with us. I don't know why, but he does. Think about this. The God that formed you wants to talk to you. He wants to hear you. Wants to speak to you. He's so, so high above us, but he bends down to listen to us. Even higher than a rabbi to the rabbis, he's the ultimate rabbi. He's the teacher with a capital T. But, for example, when he's about to destroy a city that's filled with wickedness, he'll listen to Abraham, a dust filled human, and show mercy. When the people are so far gone, worshiping a golden calf, right, right after we got the Ten Commandments, God says he might as well wipe out Israel and start over with Moses. He listens to Moses, who intervenes. I mean, Moses steps right into the conversation with God. And God shows mercy according to his covenantal faithfulness. The King of Kings partners with us dust bags, to redeem the world. He listens to Abraham. He listens to Moses. He listens to his intercessors who cry out to him. He actually hears our prayers. Our prayers actually move the heart of God and shape the world around us. So we partner with God by fixing the broken world, and we partner with God by praying, which is talking to him, and listening But there's another way we partner with God. It's by telling His story. As much as I love telling stories about Marty Getz and Russ Resnick and group projects, there is one story that people need to hear, and God breathes life into us. He partners with us to help us tell that story so that the Jews and the nations will hear it. What if I told you? There was a human who enabled the whole group project to actually work. Sounds crazy, but, you know, hear me out. A human who was from the earth like us, but also perfectly from heaven. I mean, he had the full breath of God in his lungs. We're so-so images, but this one, the son of Abraham, son of David, was the exact image of the invisible god this one was not just kind of a king like we are but he was king over all creation his name is above every other name like we were supposed to be only human like that so entwined with the divine nature could really bring the whole project of creation together from the human side and the god side A human who interceded on behalf of other humans like Abraham did for Sodom and Gomorrah or Moses did for Israel. But Abraham and Moses, they messed up sometimes. But this one interceded perfectly and eternally forever and all time. This is just one way to tell the story, which is the Yeshua story. But there are many because there's many sides to it. I mean why do you think there's four gospels about the same guy? There's different ways to to tell this story. This year, 5781, I want to encourage all of us, myself included, to tell the Yeshua story in creative ways, to share with the Jews and the nations what God has done for you. Folks are hurting. People are anxious, scared nervous about the virus divided over political arguments, we need Yeshua. We we always need him, but we really need him now. This is the story that brings it all together. The gospel, the good news, the Yeshua story. This is our verse for this year. It's gospeling advice. It's the best one i found in the scriptures. It's from 1 Peter 3.15. Hopefully by the end of the year, We'll all memorize it. We have 11 months. Here we go. Do you want to read it with me? Yeah? All right. Together. Instead, sanctify Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason, a reason for the hope that is in you, yet with humility and reverence. I didn't do that so great, so let's try again. Instead, sanctify Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet with humility and reverence. I'm not talking about proselytizing. I'm not talking about Bible thumping, trying to convince people that you're right and they're wrong. It's not what gospeling is about. Gospeling is about giving a reason for the hope you have, when folks ask. It's about looking for opportunities to share your life with someone in the context of relationship, explaining why you have hope in the midst of a global crisis, more than preaching the gospel, we need to be the gospel. I received Yeshua because there were Christians in my life, followers of Yeshua, who showed me that God was real in them. They spoke into my life, they encouraged me, but I could tell, I knew there was a silent partner who was doing all the heavy lifting. I knew that God was real. This year, I have invited at least once a month a visiting speaker to come and share with us stories of how God has empowered them to gospel, to share this story with reverence and humility. These are local Christian leaders as well as Messianic Jewish leaders from all over. This is the year. My hope is that this would be a year of relational gospel, this is the year we dare to share, but not scare, because we care. Yeah, or maybe we are aware. I don't know. There's a Jewish woman I know who said something really interesting to me recently. She said, "There's someone she knows in our community, and she knows they probably would never see eye to eye politically." And they probably don't have that much in common. But nevertheless, she said she could see the gospel. She could see the love of God in this member of Tikvot Israel. She can see how they love. She can see how they serve the needy. How they are the image of God. That's what it's all about. If God has made you hospitable, show hospitality, knowing that God is partnering with you. He's partnering with you. He's helping you. Do that thing. If God has given you a prophetic gift, speak life into other people's lives. If teaching, then teach in the power of the breath of God, the Ruach. If serving, may your service point back to him. The world is watching. And they are desperate. They are desperate for a solution to the human problem. The world is hungering for truth, for something real, for connection, for a path, for life. So let's tell them, and more importantly, let's show them who is the path and the truth and the life. Yeshua the Messiah. May God empower you by His breath to share His story to the Jew first, and also to the nations. May the Yeshua story become ever more real and alive in your heart, that you can give a reason for the hope you have within you, yet with reverence and humility. Let's pray. Avinu, our Father, thank you that you partner with us to to do avodah, to do good works, to pray and talk to you and to and to gospel, to share the Yeshua story as it fulfills the Israel story, that you are king, that you died and rose again, and that your name is above every name, and that by trusting in you and allegiance to you, we have everything we need. We have the hope of eternal life and... We have the fullness of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that we would be kingdom gospelers, relational gospelers, that you would empower us by your Ruach to partner with you in these things. And thank you, Lord, that you're the senior partner and you're doing all the heavy lifting and you're directing our steps and that we don't have to be because we trust you and we love you. Help us to grow in our relationship with you to hear your voice your still small voice saying go here share with this one bring this bring this one some some food bless this one help us to hear your voice lord and partner with you for the reparation of the world so that your kingdom is established and you are established lord yeshua as king not only of our hearts but over all the earth. We lift you up and magnify you. You are great, Lord. Help us to make you great this year. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.